Hello and welcome to the Father's House Church. We're so glad that you joined us. We hope that you're blessed by today's message from our mission team leader, Maddie Coffin. We've been looking at the book of Acts, and hopefully you've been just enjoying a little bit of a, a look through the book of Acts. There are so many things you can unpack and explore, but we've been taking a bit of a journey through, and today we're coming to the section on Acts chapter 20. And Acts chapter 20 has a lot of different things in it, and so I can't exegete the whole chapter. We're just going to look at one particular part of Acts chapter 20, which is Paul's speech. It's a farewell speech, but I encourage you to go and read the rest of what's going on because there's some really cool things happening in there. But it's really interesting because Acts chapter 20 is a bit of a farewell speech. It's a farewell speech for the Apostle Paul um, to a particular group of people. Uh, He invites this group of elders from Ephesus. They travel a few days to be with him because there is a lot of action going on around Acts chapter 20. If you've been reading and following, there's so much going on. We've just come out of this chapter where there were riots because of what Paul was bringing. There was all kinds of chaos going on. He's on boats and he's traveling and he comes to this moment and he calls together this group from the church in Ephesus who are his mates, his friends, and he just, he, he shares with them a little bit of his heart. It's beautiful. Um, and we're going to dig into that a little bit. It's interesting though, because it's funny that we're lining up with Acts chapter 20, because for me and Ashley, this is a bit of a farewell sermon, a bit of a farewell speech from us today as well. So it's kind of nice that what Paul's sharing can line up with the fact that Ashley and I are in a season of transition, and this is a farewell sermon for us. Um, For Paul, it's a farewell because things have gotten a little dicey for him. Um, If you've been following along, he's been chased out of town. Like, Paul has kind of been in prison. Paul's ready to give his life for the gospel of Jesus. Things are looking dicey for him. So his farewell was more in the context of saying, look, you guys, I just want to share with you and encourage you one last time because there might not be another time. My farewell speech to you today isn't because things have gotten dicey. I need to let you know. Immigration aren't knocking on my door and kicking me out. I haven't done anything dodgy. We're good. But this is still a farewell speech because Ashley and I are in transition and um, we wanted to just acknowledge that this morning and let you guys know that Ashley and I are, are moving on August 14th. We're hopping on a plane and heading back to Australia where we're taking on a new season that God, that we have discerned God has invited us into and that's been a bit of a journey. Some of you are saying, we know it's been a two year transition. When are you leaving? We keep hearing these goodbye speeches and you're still here. <laughs> Awkward. It's uh, a little strange. It's like when you see someone in the grocery store and you're like, oh, hey, and you have a chat and then you walk into the next aisle and it's them again. And you're like, hi, hi. You know, it's that you've already done the, the thing and then you bump into them and you pretend you're looking at the coffee and you really don't want to buy coffee. You know what I'm saying? That's what it's felt like for two years. We're in the next grocery aisle and it's awkward. We're leaving, okay? I promise you, August 14th, we're going. And so that's what we wanted to share a little bit today. And um, that's only five weeks away. So you are going to see us around awkwardly still. We are going to come to church. But this is the final opportunity to just sort of come up and share and just really just give you thanks, like thanks for the journey and share a few things and line it up with what Paul shares. So actually, part of the journey is I actually remember arriving in Canada in 2008, it's been, been a while. I had hair. I was a few kilos lighter. I was coming to marry the love of my life. Things were good. You've taken a toll on me, all of you. I'm blaming you, not my habits. It's you. Just kidding. 
2008, I rocked up in Canada, just fresh, baby-faced man. Like, I had no idea what the future was. I was just ready for the adventure. And I showed up with my suitcase, and I met this crazy Hanson family, and I thought, wow, this is going to be awesome. And uh, I'd just come out of a pretty cool discipleship journey because I was a bit of a rat bag as a kid. And that's where we'll just end that set sentence. But I, I, I looked at my grade 11 exam, and I said... I don't like this, and I left, and I never passed high school, and I was a bit of a, that kind of guy. I didn't have the self-concept to believe I was worth anything. I didn't think I was smart, couldn't measure up. School was a failure. I was out of there. At 16, I got a plumbing apprenticeship, worked, got qualified at 20, and then I met Jesus. And I got to tell you, man, it was pretty disruptive to my way of life. If you know what I mean, if you've ever given actually your life over to the Lordship of Jesus, you know that kind of disrupts things a little bit. Wouldn't you agree? Particularly if you're a bit of a rat bag, all of a sudden you're like, wow, there's a different way to do life. And that's what happened. So I show up in Canada after a transformation by Jesus. I had entered into this discipleship journey for about three years, just living faith, doing all kinds of cool things, traveling the world, connected to a really cool group of people who were just loving Jesus. And um, I got my notes out of whack. So here we go. Just give me one second. You got some music to play or something, guys? A bit of <laughs> elevator music as we just like awkwardly do this. I had it in order, I swear. I really did. Just talk amongst yourselves. Here we go. There you go. So I'd met this Canadian girl in Australia. I'd been on this really rich discipleship journey, and then we decided we were going to get married. Ashley was in Jamaica for a little while. We come back to Canada, and we were engaged, and we had no intention of staying in Canada. We were just here to like use it as a springboard into something else. We had said yes to a role in South Africa, which we were planning toward. We'd been doing some training with a group of leaders from South African communities in Germany. So we'd been doing all this kind of really fun, cool, crazy, apostolic kind of work. And then uh, we were just here to get married. And the church, Morinville Christian Fellowship, was supporting Ashley as a missionary while she was working in Jamaica and her family had started attending this church. So I rock up fresh off the boat, so to speak, just ready to have fun and like, you know, whatever. I meet this guy, Pastor Greg, and he does my pre-marriage stuff. And I'm like, he's a cool dude. But there was no, there was no further relationship other than this guy was going to do my, my, my wedding. And so he did our marriage, uh, did our wedding ceremony, and, um, and then we were ready to rock and roll. It was actually, we were married in 2008. <laughs> In July, we're coming up to 15 years. There's a few photos I'm going to show, actually, because there's a just I pulled together a few photos. There's Pastor Greg doing Ashley and I. I know it's a different looking dude, isn't it? Hey, I actually had hair and I wore a suit, not raggy jeans and like bald head. But um, yeah, Pastor Greg did our wedding ceremony at the Alliance Church here, and we had a reception at the Cardiff Hall. And um, you can flick through, guys, and there was just a couple. There's Dale and, Mon uh, Dale and Monica Warner. There, he had hair too. And there's Luke who preached last week and a couple of the Crawford lads sitting in the crowd. And then there's Jackie and Beth with Ella Rose who was just a little baby. Look at her now. Like she's all grown up. Just to spotlight you. And there's John and Esther. And John, if you know John Booker, he's cheeky. Like at our wedding reception, this bloke kept on showing up. He would rock up to me and he would be like, Maddie, take the keys, take the truck, get out of here. I'm like, John, it's five o'clock. The dinner hasn't even started yet. I can't leave. He's like, don't worry about that. Just get out of here. So John and Esther were awesome. And, uh, you know, there was just a couple of photos from the wedding. So we, we show up in 2008 and it was fantastic. And we got, we, we nicked off. We were off to South Africa. We lived in Johannesburg for a while doing some mission work. 
That was a different context. That was a challenging place to live, but it was rich and it was cool. And then after a season there, we decided like, we just sort of felt a bit of a prompting to come back and we weren't sure why. And so we journeyed with that and we discerned the Holy Spirit and it was like, okay, we're going to leave this thing and we're going to go back to Canada. Had no idea why we're coming back to Canada. So we show up in Canada and uh, along the way, we went to Australia for six weeks to provide some leadership in a rural community. Then we ended up in Jamaica. Ashley was six months pregnant, roughly. We went and served in Jamaica for six weeks just to support a team that were doing some really cool kingdom work there. And then we came back to Canada and I was working with Fusion in the West End of Edmonton. And then this Pastor Greg guy shows up again and takes me for lunch, just wooing me with a meal. It doesn't take much. Come for a steak. So I go out for dinner with Pastor Greg and uh, lunch or whatever it was. I don't remember. But long story short, we get chatting and he just had this prompting, I think it was. I mean, you could probably tell the story better, but there was this kind of like, hey, what are you guys doing? Like, you're back. Like, let's figure something out. Like, and I was like, okay, I have no idea. And Pastor Greg's like, I don't really have a job for you. Like, it's not like, here's this job description. It was just like, hey, do you want to join in and doing something here? And I was like, sounds fantastic. So next thing you know, um, here we are in Canada, joining the team, something I never thought would ever happen. But when the Holy Spirit burdens you, you just say yes, hey? And there was a sense that Holy Spirit was at work and there was a yes that happened. And so Ashley and I dug in and got involved in this really cool redemptive community. And so for the last 13 years or so, it's been a really rich and profound journey being here with you, just seeing what the Lord has been doing and, and watching the spiritual growth in so many people, watching, you know, little Fraser girls from here grow up into adults and, you know, just, just seeing the life of God at work in this community. And really, it was, a, it was a faith step for Pastor Greg to do that, because I'm just young, fresh Australian, had no idea what, what I was doing, and there was a faith step. But then the Holy Spirit burdened him and burdened us, and we said yes, and God's good. So there's a few more photos, just going to scroll. I've got so many photos I'd love to show, but this is just as a recap. We, you know, it was so cool, just the wonderful community of God's people here, you know? Kids ministry, discipleship school, feeding the homeless at the Bissell Center, and uh, fires and floods, and uh, funerals, weddings, junior youth groups, festivals, community outreaches, multi-siting, you name it. There were so many different things that God just brought us through and um, gave us the opportunity to just love you guys and be loved by you. And there's little Rachel. Look at Rachel. That's Rachel who was up here. Isn't she gorgeous, hey? There's Rachel and there's Eddie Bork. For those that know, Eddie came in one day in his RCMP uniform and taught the kids and just so many cool things over the 13 years that I would just celebrate and just say thanks for the opportunity to, yeah, just be um, trusted by you guys to come into sacred spaces, you know, to love your children and to meet you in your homes and to perform funerals and to pray for loved ones while they're dying, you know, taking their last breaths and to do weddings. And there, there's a real sacredness about those invitations. And so for the last 13 years, you guys have been such a wonderful and faithful, generous community that have allowed Ashley and I to do the things God's called us to do. So today it feels really cool that I get to share that and also share from Acts chapter 20, which is Paul's farewell speech to his faithful followers, to his faithful friends. And we're just going to dig into that a bit now. I said Acts chapter 20. It's a rich chapter, lots of stories going on. You'll read one story about... <laughs> It's actually a pretty funny story. There's, Paul's like preaching this really late at night and he won't stop. 
I'm sorry, you guys have had to put through some of those sermons with me too. There's been ones that have been short and some that have been really long. And there's this one story in Acts chapter 20 where Paul won't stop. And there's this young kid, he's sitting on the banister of the railing and there's these oil lamps and it's like nearly midnight and he's like, oh my gosh, this guy won't stop talking. Next thing you know, he passes out and he falls from the stairs and he dies. Now he's raised to life, it's okay, like you can read it, but that's one of the stories. And it just reminded me of the time where, for those that were there at the high school, there was one time I was preaching and the lights went out. Does anyone remember that at the community high school? It was like, I was going on and on, and then the lights went out. I swear it was John Booker switching the lights off, I'm just going to say, but, but the lights went out, and you would think I would stop. I just kept on going. So Pastor Greg just like, cruises up to the front with his flashlight, and he's like, you're still going to go, okay? And he flashed the light on my sermon, and I just kept on going. And then during the week at staff meeting, Pastor Greg is he's so encouraging, like, great message, man. He's like, but bro, like, you, you just got to know when to stop. Like, <laughs> the lights were out, mate. Wrap it up. And that's why I love Acts chapter 20, because it's this story, Paul just won't stop, and dude dies. Like, so hopefully you all just don't kick the bucket on me today. Please, that will not be a good farewell. So that's happening in the background, but that's not what we're going to focus on. We're going to focus on a little speech that he does. And to get there, just want to do a little recap, a little bit of the story of what's going on, because there's a lot of really cool, rich stuff happening. Paul has been on his missionary journey, and he's been visiting small groups of mates who are following the way of Jesus. And I need you to know this. It's, this is happening in the face of really big empire, Big systems of culture, big systems of ways of doing things, these little groups of Jesus followers are popping up. These people of God were creating, there was this worshipping communities were being created and popping up, and these worshipping communities were, were reflecting who God was, the true human vocation to be God's mirrors to the world. And I need you to hear something, they, they were really countercultural communities. Do you want to know Why? Because the life that they were building themselves upon was the reality that Jesus Christ is Lord of the kingdom. That's why it was so countercultural, because in the face of empire, these communities were springing up and building their life on a different way. And the way was the way of Jesus, the way of his lordship. That was countercultural. That's what was going on as we come to this story. In fact, Previously, I think it's in chapter 19, some of the charge against Paul and his followers was this complaint. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept or practice, which created all kinds of trouble, riots, and things would break out. Why? Because, because Paul was preaching Jesus as king. How many of you know that is counter-cultural? That's counter your Western culture too. That's counter-empire. And these communities of people who are putting their faith in Jesus are springing up. And this is the background of what's happening with Paul. They were building a life on the lordship of Jesus and not on the cultural norms of empire. In the world, but not of it. Brand new communities as well, you guys. This is brand new. This is like tilling the soil that has never been tilled before. There is no existing structures to just go and join. These are, are, are groups of friends who are saying, did you hear Jesus like, was raised from the dead? He defeated the power of sin and death. He is the king of the universe. What, what does that mean? Let's live our life as though that's true. 
that was, that was unorganized. That was like, we're just going to meet and have meals and, and talk about the fact that Jesus is the king. We don't need to put our faith in the systems of empire that is oppressive. Because remember, before Jesus came, there was a proclamation that he will bring the high places low and he'll, raise up the, he'll bring the valleys to equal plains. Jesus equals this situation, man. And these guys are living as though this was real. Small groups of friends who ordered their life around the lordship of Jesus, willing to live differently than the way of empire, the way of the world. And they're springing up all over. These brand new communities. This flourishing new life began when Jesus appeared to his disciples and he breathed the resurrected life of Christ that has defeated sin and death into his followers and says, receive the Holy Spirit. So the church are these sent out ones who go into the world and order their life around the reality that Jesus is Lord. That the finishing work of Jesus on the cross is real and now the people of God are the sent out ones in the face of empire to live a different life. That's countercultural. This is what's going on. Little pockets of mates, friends, men, women, Greek, Jew, Roman, African, you name it, loving Jesus and living new life in the face of monolithic systems of power. These are redemptive communities in the face of oppression. In the end, the Roman Empire fell, but the church kept on growing because Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Lord of the kingdom. So, these communities, God is giving the gift of His Holy Spirit, awakening them, animating them, bringing them life. And how many of you know the shape of these communities in these regions might have looked different? They might not have all looked exactly the same. But I've got to tell you something, the simple, that what was not different was the message of Paul that he proclaimed to them that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He's the king of the universe. He's defeated sin and death. He's defeated the powers of darkness. He sits on the right hand of the Father. He is the king of the world. That's what started. That was the central message. Despite the form that it took, that was the proclamation. How many of you know that confronts empire? Would you agree? That is really countercultural. That Jesus is actually the king of the universe. These communities were gathered together to model the reign of the king. How many of you know that was no easy task? Particularly in this day when Paul was traveling. This is like a David and Goliath kind of situation. That's why these communities were so countercultural. They pushed back on what was the norm. And it was through them that God was being manifest. These were truly freedom communities. One of the reasons Jesus was crucified was because he claimed lordship. And that confronted the message of empire. Who will be king? He upset the religious folks because he called himself the temple, but he really annoyed the Romans because he confronted the systems of empire and they killed him for it. And so Paul has made all kinds of mate, mates. He's met all kinds of people. He's had conflict with some, but God works in that. He's made friends with Timothy, Barnabas, Silas, John, Mark, Apollos, Priscilla, Aquila, Lydia, and many others. And together, they've started this network of groups of friends who are saying, yes, Jesus is the king. We're going to live as though that's real. And they're popping up all over the known world, uh, known world, being shaped by the Holy Spirit under the lordship of Jesus to the glory of the Father. Mates he never could have imagined he would be friends with. He's got all kinds of new friends and connections. And I got, remember, this is the same bloke who rocked up at the stoning of Stephen and was trying his hardest to kill the work of the Holy Spirit. 
did everything he could because of his religious narrative and because of his formation. He was so blind to see the work of the Holy Spirit that he participated in works of evil, but met the the king of the universe and was so transformed that now he has sold his life out for the lordship of Jesus. I was a rat bag before I met Jesus. I did not care who you were or where you were from. I didn't really have a a thought for the rest of the world. But I met Jesus, and all I want to do is go and share Jesus with all the world. There's something that happens, isn't there, in, in, in the reconciliation of the cross that brings you into redemptive life. This is what happens to Paul. There's a, there's a new story for him. So young, so dumb, so arrogant in my own way of doing things, but I'm so thankful for redemptive community here at the Father's house, for the way God has been at work. So here's Paul living this complex, unscripted, faith-filled life. And as he makes these mates around the world, he stays connected to them. He writes them letters. He continues to help them in grounding them in Jesus and the finished work of the cross, reminding them of what it's all about in the face of opposition, in the face of systems of power and control. He's saying, here's what life can look like. Encourages them deeply, and he stays connected to them. He mentors them. This isn't a nine-to-five job for this guy. I can't imagine that being simple, you guys. We heard Luke talk about the reality of being arrested and in prison and what that would have looked like. Here he is traveling the known world on ships and donkeys and walking and going to all kinds of strange places where he's arrested and faces persecution. Have you ever traveled long distances before? Have you ever hopped on a plane and flown across the the Pacific Ocean? That's comfort, but yet it's such a painful trip. 15 hours to get from North America to the Australian shore, 15 hours straight, and it is uncomfortable by about... 10 hours. And if you've ever been to different places, you know you you go into these environments where the weather's different. You're taking malaria tablets and you're eating food that you think might be some kind of chicken, but it's not. And it's causing your stomach to feel upset. And so you wear your underwear four different ways. You get what I'm saying? Like, you've ever been uncomfortable in a different environment where you're not really, you know, you're trying to figure it out. I remember going to Mozambique with Pastor Greg and it was awesome and we had a great trip and you had to take malaria pills. And so poor Pastor Greg, poor Pastor Greg, come on, man, preaching this, man. We get to this, you know, there's, more, there's morning prayer every morning with the workers, and so you'd go up there, and we're taking these malaria pills, but you have to eat when you take this pill. Like, just crush a bit of toast, mate, a bit of peanut butter, you're good. Pastor Greg was just eating them as though they were breakfast, like he wasn't eating food with them. So after about day four or something, he's like, oh, my, my guts are a bit crook. Well, my stomach's sore. And he, he was trying to figure it out, and we're like, oh, maybe he's getting malaria, and everyone's starting to freak out. And we go up to this prayer one morning, and there's Pastor Greg. There's no breeze, but he's swaying like a tree in the breeze. And I'm standing there, and I'm looking over, I'm thinking, is he all right? Oh, my goodness. And next thing you know, he's just out of there, and you just hear, <laughs> manifesting demon kind of stuff, man. Like, he was chucking his guts that's uncomfortable. So when you're traveling, you know what I'm saying? Like you're putting yourself in positions of discomfort. It's not the simple life. It's hot. It's bothersome. And for Paul, this wasn't simple. He wasn't just showing up to a nice place where everyone loved him. He was, he was tilling hard soil. It wasn't easy. And he was facing arrest and persecution. It was not an easy task 
finding work, relying on others for generosity. It wasn't easy. And now this is all the stuff that's happening in the background as we come to chapter 20. Paul's in the saddle, so to speak, and he's traveling around and he's on this ship and he lands in this place called Miletus. And uh, here he is where he wants to invite some of the people from the church in Ephesus to come and encourage them. Um, And two weeks ago, you'll see this is the time where Paul's landing in these places and he's asking people if they've received the Holy Spirit and he's, he's giving them the Holy Spirit and, and um, two weeks ago Pastor Greg preached on that and you can go and listen to that and then we come to this moment now after he's been chased out of some places, he lands in Miletus, he calls for the leaders of the church who he's, and here is an important moment for him. This is where all the chaos and the craziness stops for just a moment. He gets to just come and have a moment with some of his good mates, people that he's been doing life with. And he calls them in from Ephesus, which is a few days' journey. And so he probably waits for them, and these guys show up. And there's a little bit of grief you'll see at the end of his speech because they're so sad that he's going. But Paul sees the writing on the wall for himself. He, he, he knows that he's bound to the Holy Spirit's will. And what that means is because he's confronting empire, empire wants to shut him down. But he knows his task is to live for Jesus. It's not questioned. So that stuff whilst is acknowledged and important, doesn't dictate the direction of his life. So he comes to this moment where he, he speaks with his mates and he shares with them. This is what he says. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church, and when they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility, with tears in the midst of severe testing, by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Love this framework for mission. Paul's saying, whether publicly or in people's homes, he was consistent in his calling and message. But here's something that really stood out to me. You know I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you. I have taught you publicly from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Central to Paul's message, central to Paul's life, central to the life of, of, of our community life together as the people of God is this. Jesus' resurrection and lordship. That Jesus rose from the dead. He defeated the power of sin and death, and he reigns as king of the universe. The cross and all that it means. Later on, Paul will write, Christ died according to the scriptures, meaning he in his ministry saw that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of all of the God's story. Remember, they didn't have the New Testament writings right now. This is based on the testimony and the witness of Jesus' resurrection that people are willing to stand up in the face of empire and stake their flag in the ground and say, Jesus is king. This was central to Paul's message, was Jesus is Lord of the universe. And to live that revelation, he recognized it takes a change of mind. This is called repentance. He preached they must turn to God in repentance. What does repentance mean? It means metanoia. It's the Greek word metanoia, and at its basic level, it translates to have a change of mind. But at its deeper level, it's a deep and profound reflection on the nature of your own self-indulgent life that by doing that produces such a sorrow that you realize, I am, I am so lost. 
I am so trying to be the king of my own life, and it's not really working out so good. Have you ever seen when sin has affected your life? Can you be honest with that for a minute? Have you? Have you ever seen where you being in charge of your own life and being in control has done damage in your relationship? Have you seen how sin has corrupted our, our living environment? Have you seen where human corruption and greed has actually impacted our world? I don't know how you observe the world around you without a healthy understanding of sin. Rev- repentance at its basic level is getting a new mind, but at a deep level, it's the recognition that when I try and take control of my life, as much as it tries to ease my anxiety, it does damage. It does damage to me, it does damage to the relationship, it does damage to the environment, and repentance is that sorrow that that produces to recognize that. So what Paul preached. He preached repentance. It's the reflection, though, that the grace of God abounds to you and produces healing and hope. Repentance isn't just all bad sorrow. It's the sorrow that comes and the new mind is the revelation that Jesus is the Lord of the universe, has reconciled a lost world to himself because of the power of the cross, and you come under the grace and mercy of the king of the world. That's repentance. This is what Paul preached. It brings healing and hope, and the fruit of that transaction is a new desire to live in partnership with God, and that will produce change in your life. Repentance is letting go and resting on the grace of God. Repentance is recognizing that the way you see, the way you live, your habits, all kinds of things have been shaped and formed by culture, by family, by all kinds of stories that you have begun to believe and live out. Repentance is the recognition that God is the king of the universe and there is a different way to live. It's a humble recognition of our own desire to control and trust in ourselves. It's why I love Romans 12 too. Hear this, church. This is a plea. Church, do not conform to the pattern of this world. How many of you know empire wants to subtly lull you and tempt you back into patterns and formations to form you as though all you are is a malleable piece of clay and the world wants to shape you and sell you a lie about the good life, about what is rich and will bring you meaning and purpose. Empire seeks to dominate, control, and pillage. It does not care about you. It doesn't. When I say empire, I don't just mean the government. That's one thing. I'm talking about empire, the systems of the world that are trying to sell you a story of what is good. It wants to form you. So this plea, guys, don't conform to the patterns of this world, the rhythms of this world, the formation of this world. Don't let it squeeze you into its mold to shape you. This is the confronting message of the Christian church is it stands up against the patterns of this world and is deciding to be formed in our worship together in a different way, toward Jesus, because we acknowledge He is the King of the universe. Don't conform, but what? Be transformed by renewing your mind. That's repentance, because repentance is this recognition that Monday to Friday, guys, I'm going to tell you I screw up. I get formed by the world. I make decisions based on the lies, And so repentance is that acknowledgement, that humble recognition that, oh, that's right, Jesus, I forgot you're the king. I was trying to be king again. And I made some mistakes and I did some damage and I said the wrong thing and I did the wrong thing and I bought the wrong thing and I, I wasn't stewarding God. So repentance is this. So don't conform to the pattern of this world. It's been an amazing testing season for me in the last two years as we've waited on the Lord. 
I've joked, this is like the longest goodbye you've probably ever experienced. Because like, it was like 2020, we were like, hey guys, we're sensing transition, see you later. And here we are all these years later, still saying goodbye. And, but part of it has been, there's been a testing in that. It hasn't been easy. Who likes to be tested? I don't. <laughs> I'm not at that humble place of like, test me, Jesus. So good. Refine me with your fire. I'm like doing everything I can to avoid discomfort. Isn't that what we do as humans? Minimize the pain and maximize pleasure and seek that out. But sometimes there's testing, there's uncomfort, and the last two years have been that. And I haven't got it right all the time. Some things I have. I'm not going to just bash myself, but there have been times I haven't got it right. Um, I've tried to control. I've tried to be king. I've tried to measure success on the world's system. And then there's that beautiful verse we just heard it there. You know, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength, mount up on wings like eagles. Sounds pretty good. I haven't done it. Wait on the Lord. I've waited on myself sometimes and tried to be in control. And rather than being a beautiful eagle soaring, I'm a plane crashing. Have you felt that before? Have you ever been there? I'm just being humble to say I don't always get it. But that's the beauty of what Paul preached. It doesn't change that Jesus is the Lord. Repentance is just remembering that's right, He is. So I don't have to be. You can trust in a God who sees all and knows all and is over all. I can actually camp there and build my life around that reality and there is peace because He's the Prince of Peace. Paul preached that this is the way to live, not the world's way. It's turning back to God even when we find ourselves away. Like Luke said last week, church to learn to feast on his faithfulness. Do you know why? Because I'm not faithful. I, am, I, I cheat on God all the time because I say Jesus is Lord of my life, but my actions don't say that. So there's sometimes a, a, a dissonance. There's a disconnect between what I proclaim and how I live. And if I can humbly acknowledge that, I remember the grace of God because God's not sitting there saying, you dodo, you foolish human, jeez Louise, what did I get myself into with you? No, he's looking at me saying, remember the words of the song? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Remember that one? Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. Repentance is beautiful, church. It's what Paul preached. He preached the grace of God, the mercy of God. As you humbly recognize, you turn back to God, you see his face and you're like, oh, I don't have, I can let it go. I don't have to be in control. God, the system of this world doesn't care about me, but you do. You died on the cross. So I would be reconciled and living as though that's true. What a revelation. Being embraced by his mercy and grace, the significance of the cross, there's healing, forgiveness. And our life as the Christian church is built on the foundation of Jesus' lordship. And repentance is giving it to Jesus again when we want to be Lord of our own life. That's the transaction. And Paul goes on to say they must turn to God in repentance. This is what he preached. Fundamental to his message was this idea of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. He preached not only a new mind, but he preached a new way to see. Church, repentance is great. But the, John the Baptist, when he preached repentance, when he preached baptism, he said, bear fruit in keeping with your repentance. 
bear fruit in keeping with your repentance. Meaning, repentance is this, this turning back to God, but faith is the outworking of that repentance, the outworking of that baptism where you identify with the death of Jesus and you proclaim him as Lord. There is a, there is a participation with God in living a faith-filled life that is bearing fruit in keeping with your repentance. It's not just repent, it's repent and go into the grace of God in freedom and now live your life as though Jesus is Lord. Don't just say it, go and do it. There's a a proclamation that matches when you proclaim it, but then there's fruit that you bear in keeping with that repentance, that that acknowledgement that I turn to God and I've got a new way. And faith is now seeing and living as though that's true. Have you ever worn someone else's glasses before? And it's like blurry. My daughter has a strong prescription, so I put them on and everything's blurry and it gives me a headache. But then if you've ever taken them off and put on clear sunglasses, how many of you know your perception changes? Faith is tied to seeing. When you, when you have when that repentance change, when you see God and you see his face and you live under his mercy and grace, it's like you see a different reality. It's why, like I say, when you're born again, you're born of a spirit, you see it. If you're not, it's going to be really hard to intellectualize that. I can't, I can't scientifically reason with you, other than the fact that when you allow the spirit of God that has defeated sin and death into your life, it disrupts everything in your life, and it reorders it, and it's called shalom peace. And then all of a sudden, you have a new way to see. It's like putting on new glasses. You, you won't know until you're born again. You must be born again to see it. Because then faith is not this emotional currency that you have with God, that if you have enough of it, you can buy stuff from God. Faith is the outworking of that repentance into real life and living as though Jesus was the Lord. And this is what Paul was preaching. This is what was happening in the world against empire that wanted to kill it. But they stood firm on the reality that Jesus is the Lord. They turned and saw God and faith became the way that they saw reality. It's like Paul was sort of screaming, taste and see, the Lord's good. You heard that scripture? God's good. I love this wholehearted trust in Jesus, not just in our mind, but faith is wholehearted trust in Jesus as though he really was the Lord. Do you know what I'm saying? Do you understand the distinction there? If Jesus was Lord, what would that look like? And this is what these communities were seeking to live out. Remember Proverbs? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understandings. That's countercultural. Dare I even say it, it's a bit radical that you would actually decide that because Jesus is Lord, that you're no longer going to rely on yourself. It's a little different than the message that you'll hear from Empire. Don't lean on your understandings. You all have understandings, you have all been shaped and formed, you've all been deformed by things in your past, in your life, that are real. But there is a new creation story because of the, the, the reconciliation of the cross and the outworking of the Holy Spirit in your life that's producing fruit <laughs> that is different than the world. So the encouragement, don't lean on your understandings anymore. It's, it's going to tip. There's a new way to do life. So in all your ways, just submit to God, and guess what He will do? He will make your paths straight because your paths aren't straight when you try and drive, because you're crooked. You don't know how to drive the the ship of your own life sometimes. You're going to go off a cliff. You're going to crash. But if we submit to the goodness of God in His mercy and faithfulness because He's done the work, you get to rest. And if you trust in Him, that's faith. 
He will make your path straight. These little communities of followers of Jesus were people who turned to Jesus and put their faith in Him, not in the systems of the world. What would it actually mean for us, I wonder, to put our faith in the Lordship of Jesus? Like, how would we be honest at measuring our lives, whether we're relying on our own agency or the agency of God? Faith is actually living as though Jesus was the Lord of your life. He's countercultural. How many of you know faith is uncomfortable at times? Do you know that? Faith is uncomfortable. Faith isn't just this beautiful emotional experience. It's actually really difficult at times because it's the, it's the spiritual battle between the flesh part of you that just wants security and comfort and wants to push back against that willing part of you, which is your spirit. Because each and every one of you have a willing part. There's a part of you that I reckon if we could dig down and have some conversation in a small group and really wrestle it out, that you might get to a place where you would say, yeah, actually, I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. I'm sick of this other part of me that rages on. There is a part that wants to dominate and rule, but there's a willing part of you too. Faith is uncomfortable because it's in that tension between who will be king and how will I live my life, me or Jesus? And the invitation is to the goodness of God to realize that he's actually good, that he died on the cross to reconcile us back to him and gives you the gift of his Holy Spirit so you would have life. It's a good message, church. So as we come to the end here, Paul says something really interesting. So not only does he preach his framework of mission and everything he does as he plants these churches is repentance, see, taste and see the Lord is good, and faith, see it and live as though it's real. You will be different. You'll be countercultural. And now, compelled by the Spirit, he says, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm not going to know what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul knew he was about to face prison and death, but he said, it doesn't matter because Jesus is king. I put my full trust in him, and I know that my task is to go and just share the good news of Jesus. He was so committed to it. Not only the good news of Jesus, the good news of God's grace. Interesting. The word compelled by the Spirit. The word compelled means controlled, bound, tied to. It means that Paul recognized that he, because he had made the decision to make Jesus the Lord of his life, he had become an open vessel to the power of and working of the Holy Spirit in his life. And he was so abandoned to what the Holy Spirit wanted to do that it was no longer needing to be a wrestle between him being king or the Lord. He gave it to God, put it on the table, and now recognized that he was compelled by God's Spirit to do these incredible tasks. Interestingly enough, around this time, he wrote 2 Corinthians. While he was in these intense moments, he was also penning letters and sending them off. And he writes 2 Corinthians, and in it, it's interesting because a theme emerges. Because as he writes that he's compelled by the Spirit, he also writes in 2 Corinthians, Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that he died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. This interesting theme emerges for Paul. This recognition that in the Lordship of Jesus, he became open to the work of the Holy Spirit and he was so bound to the love of God and to the power of the Holy Spirit that he saw that these things were at work in his life. It's the same word, controlled by God's love, bound to the Spirit. 
Romans 5 puts it this way. It's really beautiful. Hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our heart through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Paul was so filled with the Spirit that he recognized his life was no longer his, but handed completely over to the will of God. Therefore, God, wherever you would take me, let's go. Despite hardships, I will learn contentment. I will not be lulled by empire. I will be open to you and your work, even when it looks crazy and silly to my family and friends. It's abandonment to God, and he did it. You know why? Because there's a direct tie-up with that and the love of God coming into your life. Because we just read in Romans that God pours out his Holy Spirit into your life, pours out his love into your life through the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit comes, there's a different, there's a different thing controlling you because the question then is, if it's not God, what controls you? What is it that you're compelled by? What's the deeper story that motivates the direction of your life? Now, that's a deep question that we're not going to be able to answer right now. But if you're willing to journal it or ask a prayer question in your prayer group or whatever it is to really dig into what, what actually controls your life, what are the deeper motivations that lead you there? Paul recognized that because of repentance and the lordship of Jesus, he becomes an open vessel to the power and work of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he's received the love of God. And because he's received the love of God, his whole outlook on life changes. And by faith, he goes because God's love has changed him and he's now bound to the Holy Spirit. That is a deep, profound transaction, guys. It will disrupt your life in a good way because our life is chaos and God comes and orders it and rightly orders it and gives us direction and meaning and ministry. Christ's love has been given through the Holy Spirit. What I think it all ultimately means, church, is this. When you truly know Jesus, when He is truly the Lord of your life, you're open to His power at work in you. You hand over control and you're compelled to seek first His kingdom. And it's in that place that you will discover your ministry. It's in that place that we will discover our purpose as a church. It will be when we have come to a new revelation of Jesus and that we, by faith, make Him Lord of our life, and we actually live as though that was true, and we're open to the work of the Holy Spirit, motivated by the love of God, you will discover what God's purpose is for you. For Ephesians, Paul writes, you're God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which He's prepared in advance for you to do. You won't get to where you need to get to by being in control of your life. Because often what that means is there's anxiety deep inside of you that wants to, wants to create in you, um, uh, I guess, that anxiety that bubbles up in you that you want to then control the circumstances of your life and let that dictate you. When you want to be in control, if it's based on those anxieties, it won't end up well because you will want to be in control. There's a different transaction that takes place where you actually find your meaning and purpose when you recognize the power of God's love that comes in and ministers to that place. You are God's masterpiece. When Jesus is Lord, you're pushing back on what the world wants to define you by, then it's here in this place you discover a way of doing life. So church, stop settling for safety. Stop seeking security. Stop letting empire tell you a story of what's good and meaningful because it's selling you a lie. 
Please hear that. It doesn't have your best interests at heart, but the God of the universe who took on human form and was nailed to a cross did it so that you would be reconciled, so that the covenant with the Father and the Son, despite your faithful faithlessness, can remain faithful and you are covered by His grace. Stop letting empire rule you. It doesn't care about you. It's selling you lies. Jesus is the ultimate life. And he's been given for you. What would you do if you didn't care if you were paid for it or not? What is it that you actually care about? Another question I'd love to dig into with you. I wish we could have some dialogue now, but we need to wrap up. But the Bible tells us that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And, and that, there's that part of you that's anxious and worried and, and has so learned patterns of reliance on other people or other systems or whatever it is. There, there's, there's deformation that has happened that the flesh wants to grip onto and hold onto because it feels safe in that, but that's control. But there's this part of you called the spirit that's willing. The Bible says that his spirit testifies to our spirit about our adoption. There's a part of you that has fellowship with God and can know truth, that can actually understand what it is God wants of you. So there's a question there. That part of you, if you didn't care what it got paid to do or not, what's the part of you, what, what do you care about? For Paul, it was obvious. This is the task. This is the job I'm called to because I'm abandoned to the will of God. So yeah, prison, luxury, whatever it is, I, I'm clear on that. I'm mature enough to go and be faithful to God's call. But is there a, what's that part of you? I wonder, I'd love to hear it. I wish I could dig it out of you and talk a bit about it because I bet you there's a part of you that's willing. It's willing to say, all right, I'll put it on the table, God. And I don't care about my identity in it, but I'll do it because I think there's something there that you want to take me on an adventure. What would that be? What would that look like? I wonder if you gave yourself permission to ask about that. In your minds, forget money and security. What's the deeper desire for you to see God's kingdom come? How would your life change and what would it look like? For us Coppins, we are certainly not perfect. <laughs> if you've been around us long enough, you know we've, we've tussled between, oscillated between, be in control to like, okay, God, it's all yours. Be in control, it's all yours. And then somewhere in the middle. But I would like to say that like, as much as I know we've gotten it wrong at times, I, I would say there's also been times where we've gotten it right. Like, I wouldn't say it's all been bad. I think there's been times, but I think the intent behind it all is, I think has been this desire to just follow God and seek first his kingdom. That's, that's not always easy because empire tells me a story where I would find security in other things rather than this unknown faith journey. But somehow when we access that faith and we're full of God's love, it's amazing what God does. So God has moved us and taken us on all kinds of journeys that we never could have imagined, valleys and mountains and different countries and different places, not because we're perfect, but I think there's been a willing part of us that has always said, okay, God, why would it be comfortable to stay here and live in this home and, and rely on these things? It's right and good if you're asking us to let it go. That's scary, but it's okay because... Paul says, whether I'm in prison or in luxury or wherever, I've learned contentment in these things, whether I'm rich or poor. There's a different peace that comes when God's your king and you're not. Because you don't have to be anxious anymore. You can just let it go and rely on the king of the universe. 
So at the core of the Christian message, guys, is not having all the right ideas. The core of the genuine Christian community is simple, loving Jesus. (laughs) Jesus at the center. This is what Paul preached. Repentance and grace and compelled by the Spirit, but really central to his message was that Jesus was the Lord and you can trust in the God of the universe who knows you. Thanks for joining us today. For more on our messages or information about our ministries, you can visit tfhchurch.ca. We hope you have a great week.